The Money Show. Business Unusual. With Colin Cullis. Business Unusual brought to you by Ovex. Ovex, the best place to buy and sell cryptocurrency. Colin Cullis with Business Unusual. Why is it that we fall time and time again for the same old scams? The short answer, Bruce, is that uh, we do believe when things are too good to be true that they must be true and we go and invest in them. Uh, and, of course, that's just not the case. But the longer version, uh, and in tonight's particular, is uh, the story of yet another unicorn who has lost its horn or turned out to be a donkey in the first place. And in this particular case, it's the story of Greensill Capital, uh, the super abridged version, to be fair, because it is very complicated and convoluted. Uh, suffice to say that unicorns, these are the startup companies that are valued at over a billion dollars uh, and things that uh, venture capitalists and the markets just can't wait to get hold of, whether by IPOs or SPACs, or, as in this case, uh, it's uh, recently filed for insolvency uh, protection. So despite being at one point valued at over $10 billion, uh, is now worth mm, a lot, a lot less than that. Uh, I don't know if you've come across Mr. Lex Greensill before, because here is a, a CEO with an impressive backstory, super confidence, and ultimately a, a business plan that maybe wouldn't quite uh, stand up to proper scrutiny if people gave him half the chance. Is it somebody you've come across before? Uh, the name might rings a bell, but I couldn't tell you why. So, so here's his story. He's, uh, he's an Australian guy who, uh, as, a, as a young man growing up on his parents' farm, uh, really was unhappy that the, 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 the people that would buy from his parents uh, would take a long time to, to pay for the produce and, and leave them in a position where they had to struggle just to you know, look, look after the next year's crop. Uh, he, he says that that uh, forced him to have to do his law degree by correspondence because there wasn't enough money for him to go and study. Uh, and so when he saw the world needed more fairness for small suppliers to get more equitable payment of their uh, invoices, etc., he saw this as an opportunity for him to do some good. And I doubt very many people would challenge that. Uh, it's crazy for me sometimes to think that suppliers have to wait not just 30 days, but 60 days, 90, 120 days to get paid for something that you know they have already actually supplied to somebody. So uh, he begins this uh, rather remarkable business using a term called supply chain, uh, supply chain financing, uh, which some people know better as, as factoring, or for you and I, uh, where a supplier has got an invoice, but not the funds, in which case a bank or some suitable financial institution will say, uh, you give me the invoice, I'll take a little cut of what you would have gotten, but I'll give you the money now, effectively shortening that that process. That's the usual way it works, and it requires the suppliers to go to a bank or financial institution and sort that out. The new version, not that it is that new, uh, called supply chain financing, uh, reverses it. It has the person who is going to be uh, buying the products, uh, who is mindful that potentially their, uh, their supplier may not have enough funds to complete the delivery of the product they want, and so ensure financing to pay for the supplier to make sure they can get their product to make sure they can sell it and, and keep the whole chain going. But I'll, I'll ask you if uh, when in May 2019, uh, Lex Greensill was being interviewed by Bloomberg and being asked about his highly innovative and disruptive uh, uh, um, fintech he had started, whether or not you can hear where he, he dropped the ball from being able to nail why he was so different from anybody else offering these sorts of services. Take a listen. 
Lex, you say you're disrupting this industry. Supply chain finance, but anyone who's studied accounting has heard of it. It's been around for 100 years or so. Uh, so what is it that is ripe for disruption? What is it that's different about the way you do it? Why not go to a, if you're a company and you need this kind of, uh, this kind of funding, why not go to a big bank with a maybe bigger balance sheet? You bet. Well, if that were the case, we wouldn't have grown to be as big as we are. Um, the reality is that we've harnessed technology um, our AI-driven uh, delivery of, uh, of finance plus the capital markets to deliver credit to over 8 million customers around the world over the, uh, over the last eight years. Um, that's unprecedented and has propelled us to, uh, to the market-leading position we have today. Bombast and bulldust. Yes. Yes. When anybody says leveraging the power of AI-driven platform, whenever they use those words together, you just know, actually, you have no idea what it's doing. And AI is just a catchphrase for you to sound more disruptive than you are anyway. Uh, the one thing that, and it is a rabbit hole in, in trying to brush up to understand how paying suppliers and supply chains work. Gosh, I didn't realize how little I knew. Um, there is something to be said that about 20 years, supply chain financing, the thing, was actually patented where rather than simply somebody looks to agree to give somebody a loan on the basis they've got some future income coming, uh, that this particular person said, imagine if you could see the entire supply chain and something these days when we are so globally, um, you know, the, the supply chains run all over the show and it's a real myriad as to where you get your stuff from, to know that just one or two of those things gum up and the whole system falls apart, a bit like you know, a large tanker getting caught in the Suez Canal. <laughs> yeah. So how would, you, you know, how would you be able to avoid those things? Well, if you could work out in a supply chain who all the uh, suppliers and merchants and all the dependencies were, stick them in a big database, check to see uh, invoices coming and payments made and current cash flows and available balances, and then possibly you could train an AI to go and have a look at the entire, entire supply chain. And on the occasions, it starts saying, well, you've got a third tier supplier who's currently uh, not able to get a, a shipment of widgets that it needs to complete the assembly of the sub widget system you need. Uh, perhaps you should pay them a call and see if they need something to intervene and, and, and give them the bridging finance to get this sorted. So there is a case to be made for having something very clever and sophisticated look at all of that. But what I would imagine is that right now, uh, small companies don't keep the kinds of records that allow you to be able to uh, put an AI at them. And even so, how do you go about training an AI? They need models with millions and millions and millions of records to look for patterns to then apply to the, the actual data and see if they can find correlations or, or spot what's going on. So the reason why large banks typically focus on large companies and big supply chains is that there is somebody they pay to go and look at all of them. If you try and say, oh, I can do this on the cheap and do it for very small suppliers, uh, the likelihood is you're going to be skipping over a lot of stuff or making a lot of mistakes. And the final bit that... Um, Mr. Greensill mentioned there is that he was talking about looking after 8 million uh, suppliers around the world. Well, that turned out to be less accurate when I explained to you how the, uh, the whole company was put together. So the idea of this kind of financing is that they're very small margins. And so you have to have lots and lots of people invested in it. Uh, and so the company itself should run pretty lean. Uh, but Greensill had four private jets, not something, a small startup, in a, in a market like this is capable of running. Uh, the, the other element of it that was highly suspicious uh, was that looking at the various customers, a lot of the suppliers rolled up into a single one, GFG Alliance. Uh, that was a very large commodities trading company run by uh, another charismatic kind of maverick CEO, Sanjeev Gupta, uh, who is known 
for, for taking risks. He's got a big appetite for risks. So having a, a, a financing company take on the kind of risk for a company that itself is, is quite risky uh, should have set off quite a few alarm bells. But at the time, that wasn't necessarily declared because what Greensill was uh, declaring as clients were all those little supplies down the line, not realizing that all of them actually fed up to this main um, a merchant, GFG, and that effectively if he didn't pay, then everybody else down the line wouldn't get paid. And the thing that was being sold as the asset or held as the asset was the fact that GFG Alliance would pay. And here's where it gets sort of subprime as well, because after Greensill had created these uh, bundle of, of uh, owed invoices, they took that to um, an investment company and said, this is a great asset for somebody to want to buy. We're pretty much guaranteed that these loans are going to be paid back because there's invoices against them. Uh, so this should be a good return for somebody looking for a low risk, safe bet. Uh, and, and for those who, who want a little more, we've actually also got insurance so that should one or two of them happen to fail or default on those, uh, the insurance will pay it out. Sounds like a great deal. Uh, and if it was actually a good asset, then people would be justified in, in, in wanting to buy it. And, and, and quite a few were, including uh, the SoftBank Vision Fund, the crazy whale when it comes to investing, whale when it comes to just about any sector of the financial industry at, at the moment, uh, and headed by... Uh, Masayoshi son himself, uh, you know, thrives on risk and gamble. Uh, and we last referenced him when we spoke about how we work wouldn't. Um, so he gets involved in Greensill and invests $600 million into the company itself, and then may have taken as much as one and a half billion in assets via Credit Suisse in, Credit Suisse in this uh, fund that was set up. What we didn't know at the time, uh, and thanks to the investigative journalists who, who can, you know, dig into all of this stuff, is that Greensill then wind up giving financing loans to companies that were also part of Soft Fund's uh, vision fund. So effectively, Soft Fund was taking money it had, gave it to another company that it get ownership for, only to have that money given back to companies that it owned. Something that, under normal circumstances, you'd say that's mm. not a very good way for assets to be moved around, and certainly a terrible way for them to be reported on when everybody assumes, wow, this is new deals and great deals being, being shared for everybody. Well, no surprise that at some point, yeah. No, no, carry on. No surprise that at some point, uh, somebody does ask a question about the most speculative of all of them. The notion that says, I'm going to be supplying financing to a company in order for it to have funds for some future contract it may get. And in this case, it was a mining company on the belief that a mining company, uh, it was a coal mine, so already right, coal mines, they're, they're doing well at the moment, uh, would, would get big contracts for coal at some future date. So here's some financing, uh, which we will give you from our uh, pool of finance. And then we will take the, you know, the issued ticket that says, yeah, good, we owe you that money and stick it back in that pool as if it was you know, money that was going to come back because they got a contract to conclude rather mm -hmm. than actually what it was. Mm -hmm. It's simply an unsecured loan. You know, that is that is crazy. So when the insurers find out that some of the debt that they are, are securing is for this unsecured type, they say, hang on, we're not that interested. We'd, we'd like to unwind our position. Uh, Greensill says, no, no, let us explain. And they say, no, we're out. When they say we're out, the investors who thought everything was hunky-dory start taking a closer look and also start thinking, hmm, maybe a bit too rich for my blood and start withdrawing from the fund. Uh, to the point where Credit Suisse itself says, I don't think we can continue with this fund because there's too many questions we've got here and we're going to want to return everybody's money. Now, the challenge there was the uh, the big group, the uh, Sanjeev Gupta's group, 
was mindful that if he can't get money coming from Greensill, he's not going to be able to pay his suppliers. Uh, and so rather than being caught out not being able to pay suppliers, he would then uh, stop giving or, or stop honoring the, the sort of stuff for Greensill. So Greensill couldn't have him not pay because that's what their value was based on. And, and he couldn't pay. And so when that eventually happened, uh, you saw uh, uh, Sanjay Gupta's group is now in, in lots of trouble having to try and stave off which parts of their company they can sell, get rid of whatever else. Greensell is in insolvency, um, it's listed itself for insolvent protection, seeing how it can uh, defray various costs and, 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 and get itself back up and running, which seems unlikely, even though Lex Greensell, uh, about two years ago, uh, was very clever in removing a good bit of chunk of the value out of the company for him and his family. So seems to have um, separated that from himself. Uh, and it brings us to where we are now in March 2021 with um, good many billion dollars worth of money lost. For those in the UK, and another part because there's elements of um, um, David Cameron, the former prime minister, actually looking yes. to try and get the British yes. government to bail them out. The, the, the scandal that's involved there, it's just way beyond certainly the scope for this, but it really goes so, so far down. And that's what got me to, this thing was a scam from day one. And maybe I'm being unfair to call it a scam because you know, sometimes when I look at high finance deals, they all look the same to me. It's just that I don't get them. They appear as if magic or scams. But there certainly was all of the, the warning signs. And I think the final thing that I suppose we can say about this is that as long as we're willing to let our guard down, particularly when times are good, then we can expect to see situations develop that will turn them bad. And that was the case here. We simply didn't want to believe that anything go wrong with a fintech startup, good guy, great story, looking to make things better. And we didn't bother checking until it was too late. Phil Steinoffy, thank you very much. Uh, Colin Cullis with Business Unusual.